This is Whitney Lane and Hani Naga, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. Today, we are continuing our Quit Kits series designed to review high-yield topics for our yearly in-service examination. Today, we are going to be discussing high-yield topics related to body contouring, including abdominoplasty and cosmetic liposuction. So we're going to start with a, dis- with a discussion of liposuction and move on to other surgical techniques for body contouring, including abdominoplasty, lower body lift, brachioplasty, and thighplasty. Liposuction is indicated for removal of localized excess adipose tissue in areas with good overlying skin quality and minimal excess skin. All patients being evaluated for liposuction should be within 30% of their ideal body weight and should have reasonable expectations regarding the results of liposuction. In terms of pertinent anatomy, The adipose tissue in the area can be divided into two layers, superficial and deep. The superficial layer of adipose tissue is one to two millimeters below dermis and is dense and compact. Superficial superficial liposuction can create contour irregularities in this layer. The deep layer is loose and areolar with few septa, and this is where conventional liposuction is performed. There are also zones of adherence, which are areas where the subcutaneous tissue is known to be securely adherent to the underlying fascia. Liposuction should be avoided in these areas to prevent contrary irregularities. These areas include the gluteal crease, the lateral gluteal depression, the middle medial thigh, the distal iliotibial tract, and the distal, the distal posterior thigh. That's right. Um, when Now, when we're talking about liposuction, we oftentimes talk about several different techniques of liposuction. That includes suction-assisted liposuction, power-assisted liposuction, ultrasound-assisted liposuction, and laser-assisted liposuction. Uh, notably, uh, power-assisted liposuction and ultrasound-assisted liposuction have been shown to reduce surgeon fatigue as compared to just suction-assisted liposuction, um, although no major other clinical benefits have been consistently demonstrated. Basically, it saves your arms and allows, them, uh, to be, allows you to be able to operate for the rest of the day. Uh, Laser-assisted liposuction uh, has the theoretical improvement of skin tightening and has been shown to decrease pain postoperatively in early series. However, regardless of the type of technique that you end up choosing to use, and hopefully your hospital has a power-assisted liposuction, um, the procedure starts with infiltration of tumescent solution. This is typically 30 to 55 milligrams per kilogram of lidocaine within the tumescent. Uh, There's several different types of tumescent, um, amounts of tumescent solution that we can use. Um, Dry is considered, or dry liposuction is considered uh, with no tumescent. Um, This, however, is oftentimes not recommended because blood loss can be up to 45% of the aspirate. Wet liposuction is when 200 to 300 mLs of solution are instilled per anatomic area that is being treated. Super wet liposuction is a one-to-one ratio of solution instilled to aspirate um, sucked back out, and uh, blood loss can be about 1% of that aspirate. Uh, Finally, tumescent solution is um, a two-to-one or three-to-one wetting solution per ml of aspirate, and again, can have about 1% of aspirate, um, or 1% blood loss in the aspirate. Between... um, Finally, between 10 and 30% of the local anesthetic is present within the aspirate that you instilled. For postoperative care of these patients, a large volume aspirate, which includes greater than five liters of liposuction or lipoaspirate, is considered an overnight observation. Um, However, most patients go home the same day. Complications of liposuction include lidocaine toxicity. This is incredibly rare, but incredibly 
commonly tested on. Um, peak levels of lidocaine after tumes- injection of tumescent solution occurred about eight to 18 hours. Early findings of lidocaine toxicity include peri- perioral numbness, tinnitus, a metallic taste, anxiety, muscle twitching, twitching, and seizures. Cardiovascular findings include tachycardia and hypertension that can progress to ventricular arrhythmias and ultimately asystole. So treatment includes advanced cardiac life support and administration of a bolus of 20% lipid emulsion. Other very rare but commonly tested on complications of liposuction include fat embolism. Again, this is a really rare complication and presents with three classical signs, including respiratory distress, cerebral dysfunction, and a petechial rash, generally within 24 to 72 hours of the procedure. Finally, all risk factors following liposuction are increased in patients who have aspiration of large amounts of tissue, increased volume of tumescent infiltration, and other procedures in addition to liposuction. As far as long-term results go, um, you can tell patients that removal of excess fat through liposuction does result in long-term reduction in fat within the treated areas without fat reaccumulation in either the treated or untreated areas. This is predicated on the fact that your patient does not gain a significant amount of weight after liposuction. So on that note, related to liposuction is gluteal fat grafting. This is often performed in conjunction with aesthetic abdominal liposuction. Um, gluteal fat grafting does have a higher mortality with this than any other aesthetic operation. Most deaths occur by fat pulmonary embolism due to a mechanical tear of a large gluteal vein, followed by either intravascular injection of fat or migration of extravascular fat into an injured vein by pressure gradient. Safety measures um, may include avoiding injecting straightly into the muscle, using a single whole cannula that's more than 4.1 millimeters, and avoiding downward angulation of the cannula, also only injecting when the cannula is in motion. And finally, as an alternative to liposuction, some patients are opting for more minimally invasive um, options, such as cool sculpting or cryolipolysis, as a non-surgical way to reduce localized adipose tissue. Um, What cool sculpting is, it's a technique that sets targeted areas at 44 degrees Fahrenheit for a preset period of time. And this specifically targets adipocytes. Um, It induces apoptosis of the adipocytes via cellular edema um, and increased inflammation. The inflammatory cell peak infiltrates peak at 30 days. Um, Now, a complication of cool sculpting is actually paradoxical adipose hyperplasia, which is the complete opposite goal of cool sculpting. so that is when there's uh, when the area you have treated actually ends up with increased adiposity. Um, this has been associated with the use of a large ap- applicator. Um, it's been associated with male patients, um, Hispanic background patients, and the abdominal location of treatment. Now, the treatment for this is power-assisted liposuction. So in regards to complications for school sculpting, school sculpting, most common complication is transient hypoesthesia, um, which is typically resolved within several weeks. Uh, So moving on from liposuction and cool sculpting techniques, um, we're going to move on to a conversation about abdominoplasty and some other surgical techniques for body contouring. Uh, Abdominoplasty is a well-established cosmetic surgery procedure for improving body contour by means of removing excess skin, subcutaneous fat, and soft tissue from the abdomen and restoring musculofascial integrity and skin elasticity. Uh, Prior to performing abdominoplasty, we need to just take a step back and think a little bit about the pertinent regional anatomy. Uh, The central abdominal wall is composed of several layers, which include the skin, subcutaneous tissue, scarpa's fascia, which does provide the strength layer at the time of closure. So whenever your attendings are saying grab scarpa's layer, that's what they mean. Um, Subscarpal is 
scarpa's layer, the anterior rectus sheath, the rectus abdominis muscle, and the posterior rectus sheath. Uh, there are four paired muscle groups that make up the abdominal wall. Uh, those include the rectus abdominis muscles centrally and the external oblique, internal oblique, and transverse abdominis laterally. The aponeurotic portions of the oblique muscles and the transversus make up both the anterior and posterior rectus sheaths, which come together in the midline uh, called the linea alba. With waking gain and pregnancy, uh, there can be a separation of the rectus muscles at the linea alba called rectus diastasis, which is not a hernia. Many patients think it is, but it is a midline bulge. Uh, moving on, the regional anatomy or the regional blood supply to the abdomen is from three different zones. Uh, zone one is the mid, mid abdomen, which is supplied by the deep inferior epigastric artery. Zone two is the lower abdomen or suprapubic area, which is supplied by branches of the external iliac, including the superficial and deep circumflex arteries. Finally, zone three is a lateral abdomen, which is supplied by the intercostal, subcostal, and lumbar arteries. Prior to abdominoplasty, the main blood supply is from zone one or from the deep, uh, deep inferior epigastric artery. However, following abdominoplasty, the blood supply to zone one is uh, cut and therefore the main blood supply to the skin of the abdomen is from zone three. Uh, finally, there are several regional nerves that we must be aware of in order to avoid injury during the time of dominoplasty. Those include the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, which becomes superficial about two centimeters medial to the ASIS. So dissection in this area should be superficial in order to avoid injury to this nerve, which would lead to numbness of the lateral thigh. In the event of injury to the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, um, the diagnosis can be confirmed by injection of a local anesthetic into this area, and treatment can either be conservative or surgical, depending on symptoms. Other nerves for risk, risk of injury during abdominoplasty include the iliohypogastric, ilioinguinal, and intercostal nerves. Of note, the genitofemoral nerve courses deep to the abdominal wall and pierces the fascia below the inguinal ligament, supplying the pubic region, and therefore should not be injured during abdominoplasty. Otherwise, you're definitely in the wrong spot. Preoperative evaluation is important in abdominoplasty patients. You must obtain a history of prior abdominal surgeries, uh, pregnancy and planned pregnancy, as well as, of course, tobacco use. Um, on physical exam, you need to assess for the presence of hernias, um, because if a patient does have a hernia that needs repair or other potential intra-abdominal surgeries, um, a hernia can be safely uh, repaired during the abdominoplasty. And in terms of operative technique, there are several variations on the traditional ab abdominoplasty. So first, let's talk about the traditional abdominoplasty. So with this technique, um, it includes elevation of the abdominal flap and advancing to the lower incision for skin removal. So there's skin and fat, which is removed. Um, there's typically a rectus plication, which is completed above and below the umbilicus. And the umbilicus is telescoped through the abdominal flap at the level of the iliac crests. A mini abdominoplasty, or sometimes called a short scar abdominoplasty, typically is performed for patients with a small amount of lower abdominal skin and soft tissue access. The umbilicus is not transposed in this case and rectus plication typically is not performed. A fleur-de-lis abdominoplasty is best employed for patients with both vertical and horizontal skin laxity and includes both a horizontal scar as well as a vertical scar. And for all abdominoplasty techniques, progressive tension sutures can be placed from scarpa's fascia to the abdominal wall fascia. This helps close dead space, minimize flap movement, minimize seroma rate, and minimize tension on your closure. Additionally, many surgeons are now using tap blocks, uh, transverses abdominal plane blocks, in order to reduce postoperative uh, pain in the perioperative period.
Postoperatively, patients are placed in the beach chair position in order to reduce tension on the closure. And as Hani said, uh, top blocks are oftentimes being used in these patients in order to reduce postoperative pain. Uh, top blocks are reviewed in another podcast, but quickly they are um, placed, the intercostal nerves transfer uh, course between the transverse and internal abdominal oblique muscles. So therefore blocking the nerves at this level can provide reliable pain control uh, from T7 to L1 dermatomes with the highest level of anesthesia at T10. There are several complications that you must be aware of in terms of abdominoplasty. Uh, the most worrisome complication is a venous thromboembolism and PE. Uh, Abdominoplasty carries an increased risk of VTE as seen in the literature. Therefore, all patients should be evaluated using the Caprini risk assessment model. Uh, and notably, any patients undergoing a plastic surgery procedure longer than 60 minutes should undergo some form of chemoprophylaxis. Other complications more specific to abdominoplasty include seroma. It is actually the most common complication after abdominoplasty and abdominoplasty plus liposuction. Prevention of seromas uh, can be done by placing tension sutures and through the use of drains. And treatment starts with aspiration, then the placement of a closed suction drain. And if that doesn't work, the use of sclerosing agents or operative resection of the seroma cavity can be considered. Further, uh, areas of another complication includes areas of flap ischemia or skin necrosis. Uh, skin necrosis is most likely to occur in the suprapubic area. Uh, further, concurrent liposuction may further disrupt the blood supply to this area, especially in the supraumbilical region, meaning when liposuction is performed in the supraumbilical region. Uh, this is due to disruption of the subcostal and intercostal blood supply to the skin. Uh, many patients come into your office uh, and may request abdominoplasty in conjunction with other cosmetic procedures for body contouring. However, based on Dr. Grotting's data, uh, rates of complications increase with the uh, addition of other procedures to abdominoplasty. Uh, rates of overall complications with abdominoplasty alone are reported to be only about 3.1%. Adding liposuction to that increases it to 3.8%. Um, abdominoplasty with a breast procedure increases the risk of complications to 4.3%. Uh, abdominoplasty plus another body contouring procedure increases the risk to 10%. And finally, doing abdominoplasty, another body contouring procedure, and a breast procedure increases the risk to 12%. Um, despite the complication profile that uh, Whitney was just talking about, um, you can sometimes offer abdominoplasty in conjunction with other body contouring procedures, or you can offer body other body contouring procedures by themselves. And what I mean by that is you can do a lower body lift to circumferentially address excess skin and soft tissue in multiple areas, including the back, the thighs, the buttock, as well as the abdomen. So typically a lower body lift starts with a buttock lift with minimal undermining in the prone position. Um, you then typically focus next on the lateral thighs. And in order to mobilize the lateral thighs for lifting, the tissue must be loosened from the underlying tensor fascia lata and muscular fascia. Um, this is done in a discontinuous manner in order to maintain the neurovascular supply to the skin and prevent seroma formation as described by Lockwood. Um, release in the lateral gluteal depression area is found to be most effective in allowing the advancement of flaps in the lower bo body lift. Finally, you flip the patient's supine in order to perform the abdominoplasty portion of the case as described above. Complications of a lower body lift include seroma, which is the most common complication, and hematoma. Uh, male gender is an increased risk factor for hematoma and seroma in patients independent of other comorbidities. Uh, so now moving on from the abdomen and back, uh, we're going to talk about some other body contouring procedures, including brachioplasty. 
Um, this is a body contouring procedure often done in bariatric patients who demonstrate laxity and tissue access of the arms following weight loss. Uh, notably, laxity of the skin is caused by loosening of the clavoplateural fascia. Uh, this is a fascia that lies deep to the pectoralis major muscle and extends from the clavicle to the dome of the axillary fascia. Before we get into the techniques for, uh, for brachioplasty, we do need to talk about the related regional anatomy. Um, namely, there are two sensory nerves that travel superficial to the deep fascia layer and are thus at risk of injury during brachioplasty. These include the medial brachial cutaneous nerve and the medial antibrachial cutaneous nerve. We often are tested on one or both of these every year. The medial brachial cutaneous nerve is inter innervates the medial aspect of the upper arm, while the medial antibrachial cutaneous nerve, or MABC, innervates the medial side of the upper arm and the ulnar forearm. Uh, the MABC is the more commonly injured of the two nerves, given that it pierces the deep fascia about 14 centimeters proximal to the medial epicondyle of the elbow and travels with the basilic vein within the superficial plane. Damage to this nerve can cause medial forearm sensory loss. And the recommended technique to protect the MABC during brachioplasty is to leave one centimeter cuff of fat overlying the deep fascia. So kind of to go over the different techniques to address um, kind of excess skin in the arms. Um, so there's liposuction. So this is most suitable for patients with minimal skin laxity with skin pinched less than 1.5 centimeters and mild to moderate amounts of adipose tissue. Um, so liposuction can be performed as a standalone technique. In the mini brachioplasty, so you can use this technique for patients with good skin quality and a moderate amount of excess skin and adipose tissue. Um, and it's a brachioplasty that's limited to the proximal half to one third of the arm. Um, this technique will have limited to no benefit for massive weight loss patients. Uh, next, we have the traditional or extended brachioplasty. Um, the extended brachioplasty is most commonly used for patients with excessive skin laxity and adipose tissue. The superior incision is often placed one finger breadth above the bicipital groove, and the inferior incision is based on the pinch test. Uh, the technique can be combined with liposuction. Performing liposuction in conjunction with brachioplasty aids in tissue dissection with a decreased risk for nerve injury and lymphedema. But And also notably, it does not increase wound complications. So in anchoring the arm flap, um, you should be anchoring to the axillary fascia to prevent widening of the scar. Uh, a posterior medial incision has been shown to minimize tension on the surgical incision, which leads to better scarring and less visibility of arm scars. In regards to complications, the most common complication is widened hypertrophic scars. Uh, and additionally, this is the most common reason for additional surgery. Another common complication of liposuction of the arm is contour irregularities. And as we continue our tour de force of the body contouring uh, surgeries, um, we are going to finish with a discussion of thighplasty. And this obviously addresses medial thigh excess skin and soft tissue. The technique can be performed in either a transverse fashion um, right under the gluteal fold or as a full length vertical thighplasty. Uh, intraoperatively, it is important to suspend the thigh flap to the superior fascial system or the collies fascia, as it's called within the thigh to prevent complications such as scar widening, inferior migration of scars, traction deformity to the vulva in female patients and early recurrence of thytosis. Postoperatively, the most common complications of thyplasty are prolonged edema due to circumferential compression of the low pressure lymphatic system within the uh, lower extremity. And to round out our entire conversation, we need to take into account massive weight loss patients. 
In patients who have undergone gastric bypass surgery, consensus recommendations are to wait to proceed with body contouring uh, to wait at least one year from surgery and until the patient has had stable weight for three to six months. Um, in, in addition, nutritional status in bariatric patients are common and need to be addressed preoperatively. Um, they can have deficiencies in iron, calcium, vitamin B12, folate, and thiamine. Um, in addition, patients should have minimal a minimal amount of 60 to 100 grams daily of protein to prevent malnutrition and avoid delayed wound healing um, in patients. Um, and iron deficiency is the most common nutritional deficiency and should be evaluated with the CBC. Thiamine or B1 deficiency can present as post-operative confusion um, in the form of Wernicke's encephalopathy. And finally, gastric bypass has been shown to be associated with higher rates of surgical complications following body contouring than other weight loss methods, including gastric sleeve. And this is potentially due to the aforementioned nutritional deficiencies. So um, that completes our tour of uh, body contouring for patients, especially those that have had massive weight loss. We did not address breast um, and mass uh, mass or breast reduction in these patients. So those will be addressed in a separate uh, podcast uh, related to breast reduction and mastopexy. Um, so again, thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to having you joining us on some of our future podcasts addressing further um, high yield topics for in-service exam. Thanks so much. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.